0: Hey everybody, welcome to Artifice episode 90. Can you believe that? Oh my gosh, 90 episodes. I am just like over the moon about all of it. I've been, um, I did an interview yesterday and I've i have done a couple of interviews recently and ugh, every interview is just making me feel like, gosh, I will never get sick of doing this. I enjoy it so much um, having these conversations with such Brilliant and vibrant people gives me so much creative energy and I hope you feel like you're getting some of that too. Um, I'm really excited about today's episode. It's gonna be the last episode of the month of February and then um, I'm taking a week
1: off in case you missed the announcement um, that I made. At the beginning of the year,
0: I'm um, I'm giving myself the last Tuesday of every month off because that's the time that I do my deep dive essay um for the podcast so if you're if you're not reading those i really spend a lot of time on them and i think
1: they're excellent um so if you want to see my my deep dive um essay at the end of the month where i kind of um pick a topic that seems
0: like you know has been coming up in that month's um episodes and write about it and you know just think a little deeper um you can you can join my mailing list or read my blog or join my Facebook group, which is called EM
1: as in Emily Merrill, duh, Um, EM deep dive room. But the trick is, or the catch is you can't join the Facebook group unless you're already on my mailing list. So, um, but the group is great for like chatting. If you want to actually talk about the episodes, um, Anyway, so, so yeah, this will be the last episode of the month. Um, it's episode 90, which is just insane.
0: And then we'll be heading into March. So today's episode is with another old friend of mine. Um, Michelle Flowers, who I have known for a very
1: long time. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we met in the fall of 2007. Um, we couldn't figure it out. It maybe was the fall of 2008, but, um, Michelle was starting her, her master's degree at the University of North Texas in classical trombone um, at the same semester that I was starting my bachelor's degree in jazz
0: studies so we didn't um, we didn't ever we've never had any classes together um, but we were friends at church so um, so we
1: kind of we spent a lot of time together in um, in church in Texas um and got to know each other and Michelle is a person who inspires me so much she is the type to just um I don't know just like be fully herself and it is something that I have admired ever as long as I've known her um and she just keeps doing it and is just a cool person who kind of follows her passions and her interests wherever they take her um and yeah, I just think she's really cool. I like her a lot and I hope you guys will like her too. So
0: um, before we start the episode, I'd like to just tell you a little bit more about my friend Michelle. Michelle Flowers is an avid trombonist who has performed nationally and internationally in the United Kingdom, France, Italy,
1: Switzerland, Austria, and Germany, with a a wide variety of ensembles ranging from opera and musical theater orchestras to jazz ensembles to
0: a circus band, which is just very Michelle. Dr. Flowers' groundbreaking research on self-handicapping among the musician population has led her to be a standout in the field of music and medicine. Um, And then her bio, uh, which you can read the whole thing on her website, talks about places where she has presented
1: her findings. And don't worry, we will talk more about this in the
0: episode. Michelle is currently the trombone professor at Texas Women's University, where she has a flourishing studio. She founded and conducts the TWU Trombone Choir, which recently was invited to perform at the TMEA convention, which is Texas Music Educators Association. Flowers holds a master's and doctorate of musical arts in trombone performance from the University of North Texas and received a bachelor's degree from Brigham Young University. In addition to her music, she enjoys hiking in the mountains with her golden retrievers and binge watching Doctor Who. Um, You guys, I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. Here comes Michelle Flowers. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Today's episode of Artifice is brought to you by Skylar. Skylar is an LA based clean fragrance brand that uses clean, conscious ingredients to craft beautiful, innovative, and hypoallergenic scents. And all of their products are vegan and
1: cruelty free, so you can feel good about what you put on your body. I am super sensitive to smells, almost everything gives me a headache. But in the two years I've been wearing Skylar, I have loved it every single day. My fragrance of choice is Willow, but Skylar's best-selling scents are Vanilla Sky and Salt Air. And all of Skylar's fragrances
0: are made to layer, so you can experiment to find the exact combination of scents you love. In addition to gorgeous perfumes, Skylar has lotions, soaps,
1: deodorant, candles, and more. Head to Skylar.com slash artifice. That's S-K Y L A R dot com slash A-R-T-I-F-I-C-E for a 20% discount applied automatically at checkout. Enjoy. Yeah, I was just talking about this as someone else. Like, it's good that we've kind of like adapted to being able to keep teaching, kind of doing mm-hmm. the things that we're doing, but I also hate it so much. The, the online teaching. Yes. And I'm worried that like it will set a weird precedent where like after the pandemic, our students will be like, can I just do online mm-hmm. in a way that I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't want to. It's really hard to
2: try to get like, there, there are things that translate pretty well, but then there's other aspects that just it's hard not to totally. be in person. And yeah,
1: anything that's like cuz i find that a lot of the the types of things that i'm working on with my students are like responsiveness like how do we play together where like i'm not just their teacher accompanying them like mm-hmm. i'm their bandmate right and all of that kind of stuff like can you communicate with me like can we make music together there's no way to replicate that Mm-mm. virtually
2: no, I mean, those like split screen videos are, are nice, but yeah. it's not organic
1: in any way at no. all. And it doesn't teach them that totally important skill of like being adaptable in real time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess in some ways it does, but <laughs> it's not the same.
2: Yeah, but, you know, they're going to be so much better at the tech than we are. I mean, you, you seem like you know
1: what's yeah. going on here. Mm. I've well, had to learn everything. I from know how to do man. like this. And that's like <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> every time I have to learn a new thing, I get like cold sweats. You know, I'm like, because <sighs> I'm not I don't feel intuitive about technology. Yeah, I totally get that. I'm yeah, I'm good with process. Like if I do the same thing a couple of times then i can like keep doing it Mm -hmm. um but yeah like figuring out new stuff like i have no mechanical instincts whatsoever (laughs) like i recently well i guess it wasn't recently but in last november which seems like recently in the sense of recently before the pandemic started i went to texas to visit some family and i rented a car and like could not figure out how to get the back seat down. Like, <laughs> oh, so dear. I just, you know, put my suitcase like up on the seat because, like, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. And I had this rental car for like four days. Oh man. So, um, yeah, that's the kind of. No, no, I, the I hear that very that loud and clear. Yeah. Um. Maybe pull the mic just a little closer. Oh, sorry. There we go. It's all. It's all good. Just because there, it's like a dynamic mic, so it's close. Oh, okay. I'm used to the. See, so yeah, this is the trombone player coming out where you've right, got to like, like leave the whole space. Bell. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> like...
1: And you just like anytime you want to move, just like move it with you. Okay. Cool. Um. So I'm I'm excited to interview you. I actually I got to interview Jenny Youngs a couple weeks ago, and it's been so nice to interview some people who I like know already because mm-hmm. a lot, most of the time I, I meet people for the first time when we're doing the interview. So for the listener, um, I've known Michelle for like probably 12, 13 years, something like that. Yeah. I know for sure that we started it at UNT at the same semester. Like, yeah. cause I was there with like my dad and you were there with your parents. That's like, right. Buzzing around in the Institute building. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember like we were both new, mm-hmm. you, 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 right? Like you right, started yeah. in like the fall of 20, 2008.
2: Yeah. I think yeah. that was when I started.
1: Or was it 2007? I think it was 2008. I don't remember now. It, for, it was 2007 for me. So if, if so, yeah, cause I graduated. It was somewhere in there. I graduated oh, no. from high school in 2006 and then I did one year at BYU. Yeah. Anyway, I'm yeah. pretty sure we were there at the same. It semester. was really close
2: either way. So, so yeah, so
1: yeah, we've no, we've known each other for yeah, well, uh, well over ten years, um, but we didn't ever have any classes together or anything. We would like maybe mm. see each other in the music building, but um, I was on the jazz side, and you were on the classical side. They
2: kept us pretty separated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we
1: did see each other. Like we were always just bumping into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I remember, I feel like I remember like talking to you like a fair yeah, amount.
2: We would go to those lunches at the Institute and oh, I think yeah. we'd hang out a lot. Yeah. Um,
1: I specifically but yeah. remember we went to the symphony once.
2: Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah that was fun. <laughs> but yeah, we would, we found ways to kind of yeah. make sure our circles so crossed.
1: I feel like we're good friends, despite the fact that we didn't, like, we didn't have classes together, um, but we were in school at the same time. So um, I always start with everybody with the kind of the same question, which is, what were you like as a creative child?
2: <laughs> I was <laughs> I was an interesting kid. Um I think uh, it's my, my mom would often say it was a good thing I was an only child because yeah. I tended to get myself into all kinds of trouble. Really? Oh yeah. All like the time. what? Oh, I remember this one time for some reason I was fascinated with, you know what Rube Goldberg devices are? No. They're these chain reaction things and the chain reactions are really dumb and they end up like they're elaborate machines to do like some very simple task. And um, I, I don't know, I read about them in a book or something. So I threw the entire top of the house, built this. Rube Goldberg devising, what? yeah, which was supposed to flick an egg into the air like yeah. this mop would... Oh,
1: I see what you're yeah. saying. I, yeah, I, I forgot what those are called, but I yeah, <laughs> I know what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, so like I built this thing. It took me a week to do it, and um, when I finally tested it, it didn't work out right, and so there were like eggs flying all oh, over. Oh, no. Um, and that was pretty typical. How Four. old were
1: you when you did that?
2: 10 or 11 probably. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. Okay. What about when you were younger? Like, younger. What, what, um, so I love, I love, here's what I'm getting at. I love to know, like, I love creativity. I'm fascinated by the ways in which we find creativity, lose creativity, maintain creativity, remain, uh, retain creative resilience. Um, So for people who have made creativity like an important part of their adult lives, I'm very curious, like, was it inevitable? Were you just a creative child from as early as, you know, anyone could remember or like, you know, was it something you found later? So I I love to ask about like, just like as early as you had a personality, was it creative? I think it
2: probably was. Um, again, uh, I was always kind of drawn to music. I remember when I was a a very, like one of my earliest memories was listening to a harp player in a restaurant and just being fascinated by it. But yeah. as a kid, my, I don't remember, I have no memory of this because I was very young, Yeah. but apparently I would organize all the kids in our neighborhood into like a marching band. And Hilarious. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I was always playing the slide whistle, apparently. Yeah. Um, but I would have our you know we'd get our pots and pans and slide whistles and oh whatever gosh, and we'd hilarious. walk around the neighborhood so um well to me with no memory of that going into music seemed like this totally weird thing my mom was always kind of like well you know when you were a kid this is what you were I always kind drawn of always to had this thing. yeah yeah so I mean I think I think for me it's also it comes from being an only child a little bit I think yeah, you because to invent your own play exactly yeah. you have to make your own fun and yeah. I was always making up games and you know imaginary friends and stuff like yeah. that and so yeah i think for me it probably it probably was always there for a bit and yeah
1: you just were doing stuff you yeah. were you were interested in music you liked organizing you were like a little producer <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess a little bit yeah um and tinkering around with like the like like sciency things or mechanical things yeah
2: i i kind of played both cards for a really yeah. long time and then finally in college had to pick a side so yeah yeah.
1: Um. What are, like, what are your parents like? Like, or what were they like when you were little? Like, are they creative? Did you see that modeled?
2: Yeah, you know, I think, I think they always wanted to be creative, but the hand that life dealt them maybe didn't allow them to explore it as much. Yeah. Um. My mom was, uh, she played violin as a kid and was a guitar player, though I never heard her play, but she was super into dance and was like, a, from all accounts, a really amazing dancer. Wow. Um, and my dad played trumpet in school and he's really into photography and, you know, I think that, like I said, they kind of, you know, like often happens, you sometimes have to put that yeah. aside to, to eat. And sure. so, um, but well, it was always encouraged. There's like,
1: there's like creativity and then there's the arts. Um, and they're not always like overlapping. True. Yeah, I I met your parents a couple of times, um, when we were in school and, I I always get the feeling, maybe maybe it's like some of my own baggage like with my parents, but I always get the feeling by the way that your parents were seemed really supportive of you, that they must be the kind of people who think creatively. Yeah. And like really kind of embrace and value like individuality. Very much so, yeah. Um they're they're both outside the box
2: kind of people. Yeah. Um and You know they they like to to go for it and definitely encouraged me um you know from an early age encouraged me to be independently minded which I've always appreciated never tried to like shoehorn me into a particular way of thought which
1: for me would have backfired big time because it just wouldn't work that's (laughs) what happened in my childhood because I think we're I think you and I are probably made of a lot of similar stuff but I had parents who were very like you shouldn't be reading this much. It's nerdy. Oh my gosh. And, um, like you should definitely be wearing more fashionable clothing. Mm. Um, you don't have the right kind of hobbies, you know? And it, and it did backfire. Cause I was like, I'm sorry, this is just, I don't know another way to be. This is like, I, I'm never going to be like the cheerleader type. Like I just I don't have it in me. Like, right. You I don't think, seem the type yeah. at all. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Cause a lot of people are like, really? Cause you kind of look like you, oh, gosh, but you actually no. like know me. So yeah, no, you are but, not a cheerleader yeah, type. Know, I, I have blonde hair and that's kind of the end of it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> end of comparison. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I, I, I think I, I gathered that from seeing you interact with your parents, that they were like, that they were individuals and, that like they knew that you were an individual and you seemed like very comfortable with that, which I admire. Thanks. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It sounds like we had almost the exact opposite. Yeah. So yeah. Which is why you're close with your parents and I'm not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we both lost our moms like around the same time. What, what year did your mom die?
2: 2013.
1: Yeah. Mine was just a tiny bit later, but it's such a different experience. Like I don't, I wasn't close with my mom, so it's just, it's a a fully different, fully different thing, and you were so close with your mom.
2: Yeah, I, you know, kind of followed a bit on Facebook, and it just broke my heart, some of the stuff that I was reading,
1: but. Thank you. Uh, You know, I, the thing that I always try to think about is, like, when I see stories like yours, like, when I hear people talking about their mothers and fathers, um, in a way where it's clear that they felt, like, really seen and loved, I just, like, I'm, I don't feel sad about that. I feel like, I feel like it's such a wonderful thing that like those kinds of relationships exist. Like I don't ever feel, um, yeah, I just feel like that's great. (laughs) It makes me feel hopeful to know that like that my situation is not normal, (laughs) which I didn't really know, you know, until I was
2: normal is what you're in at the time. You know, we judge normal by our own experiences. So, and you know, I mean, we clashed a lot. Like, you know, there were personality issues for sure, but, um, fortunately we're both, we're with, I'm thinking of like some particular instances, but you know, we're stubborn enough that I was going to say like,
1: you're all three of you stubbornly independent enough that like, (laughs) it's just, you're going to work it out. Um, Right. Like those problems are like a result of like a value system. That's really good. I would (laughs) imagine.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, you
1: know, there's always... There's the stories, yeah, right? of course. But, yeah. you
2: know... As there are in families. I think I think it helped a lot that mom's situation growing up where she kind of had sort of... She was sort of in the middle of, of some sibling stuff. Yeah. And so the fact that... My dad's also an only child. I don't know if you knew that or oh, not. No, I didn't. And so, like, two only children together can sometimes really butt heads because, right. you know, you want your space and you want things the way you are. And, right. and it does create a little bit more independence. So... Um, you know, I despite the wild roller coaster that my family went on, I, I am very grateful that we're still we're still friends, you yeah. know, and we still yeah. talk to each other. That's and, great. and it it does give me hope because uh, you know, if if you can pull through some of the stuff that we got through and still talk to each other, it's always yeah. good. <laughs> good.
1: So, um, when you were little, so I wanted I'm curious also about like it sounds like you were kind of like undeniably creative. Was there a time that you remember feeling like that was part of your identity? Like, I know when I think back to like my earliest memories, like I remember feeling like I'm kind of artsy and a little dreamy and magical. Like, did you <laughs> feel like that as a child? I don't know if I ever felt dreamy and magical, <laughs> but I
2: could I, like definitely tell that I was different yeah. from H- the
1: people around. How um, did it feel to you? Like, how, how, would, how did you think about yourself
2: Hmm. that's an interesting question. I mean, I guess I, I I never really the the sort of black and white mentality that I would see my mm. peers with mm. particularly in like younger school. Yeah. Um I never understood that. Yeah. And um, you know, I always like to kind of I don't know, sort of make up stories and stuff because I would get bored in school. Yeah. And so I, I I guess uh, and because I would do that and kids knew that you know I was labeled the weird kid and yeah. I was fine with that because yeah. I mean I don't you were care like, I like me y- so, you know I've never yeah. really cared what other people thought yeah. about me so um,
1: do you feel like that resiliency came from your family or do you think that's just you that's just like something you're just, you just kind of have I think it's probably both yeah um,
2: I think that it could have hit a crisis point at various stages of growing up. Yeah. And, and there were definitely, you know, there's definitely the angst, like when you're a teenage girl yeah. and, and you're the like super weird kid that none of the yeah. boys want to get near with a 10 foot pole. Sometimes yeah. that can be like, you, you got to make that decision. Do I conform? Do I keep being myself? Yeah, But, um, you know, <laughs> I, it just, um, ps- there were some instances that like, um, if I had teachers or particularly like, um, you know, religious leaders, yeah, young women leaders in yeah. particular, who would always try to like sort of stifle that down. My yeah. mom was a mama bear and That's she would cool. just run in and be like, yeah. You get off my daughter's back or yeah. I will like hurt you. That's so <laughs> you badass. Know? I love that so yeah. much. Yeah. I mean she she was she really was like, you don't mess with my daughter. And I think because it was so important to my mom and because I respect my mom so yeah. much, it became important to me yeah. too. And so it, it
1: kinda gave me that license to be Yeah okay to be yourself yeah, yeah and to unapologetically yourself um so do, so do you feel like maybe it's the kind of thing because i think this this thing that we're talking about of like march the beat of your own drum like be unapologetically who you are it's a really essential part of being a creative adult mm-hmm. being a creative person like period um and i think most of us like are learning how to do it in like our 30s, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. You're like an expert like early. Like it's it's a skill that like we all kind of need. Um so do you feel like do you feel like this was like a skill that you were kind of like mastering just decades earlier than a lot of your peers? And if so, like do you have insight into like how we can do it better well i don't know if i would say i've mastered it because yeah. well i don't care
2: you know as much yeah I, you know it, humans need belonging That's right just a and fact. it's still yeah you know it cuts sometimes yeah. when you look around and you're like why is everybody else looking like this and i'm just out here being wacky you know yeah. <laughs> like yeah. what is wrong with me yeah but um
1: let's see it in terms of like mastering it i think yeah, I mean, I think I agree with you that there's no such thing as, like, truly not... Ca- you have to care. Right. But I think there's maybe, like, a good balance of, like, I care in as much as it doesn't affect my integrity. Right, yeah. And and I think that's something that, uh, that a, a lot of, you know, our peers, and, and me included, um, you know, are really working on in, like, their 20s in a way that maybe, like, you had really kind of... Your head, like in that one. I mean, that's how yeah. it seems to me. And I'm curious whether you have like just insight, like do you have thoughts about how you, how you do that, how you do it well? Well, I think you're bringing up an interesting point in that it
2: goes back a little bit to what we we're talking about, about how normal is how you perceive things. Right. And so like, to me, that seems like kind of a normal mindset, but as I'm thinking back on it, um, I guess one of the things that really helped is, I had to fight a lot of battles when I was a kid yeah. with people trying to tell me who I should be, um, what I should do, how I should dress, how I should talk, how I should act. Like, you know, the number of times that I got told, I, I got told by teachers, you know, you're reading too much or, you know, yeah. why don't you use a normal person vocabulary? You're always using these oh weird words and, you know, stuff yeah. like that. And I think that, I don't know, because I had to, because I felt sort of attacked It it got me used to pushing back a little bit. yeah. Um, And just the practice of that, it finally, it helps you to cut through the BS. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And you realize, like, why do I care what this person thinks about me?
1: You have to think about your values.
2: Yeah. And there's something about being outside the system, which I've always kind of felt like I am, where I sort of like watch society, but from a different viewpoint. Because, you know, especially around here, I have so many characteristics in just like my life and who I am that puts me outside the normal like Utah Mormon bubble. Yeah. And so I've always sort of been able to watch people from sort of this outside vantage point, which has helped me realize like how ridiculous some of these things are that we care about. Um, In terms of working on it, I think that you need to, if you can figure out the sense of who you are and like what's important to you, both as a person and as an artist, and then just really guard those things. Um, Give yourself like, creatively give yourself safe space where you yeah. can do what you want to even if your teacher says it's wrong
1: totally you know
2: I know that I for a while I had a um, projects that I would work on and like my interpretation of how they should go was completely different from what yeah. my teacher thought should happen right and so I would just play them one way for me yeah and then do the rules for him to pass right and now that I don't have that like you have to do this to pass thing anymore. I can just do whatever I want. And I found that people actually appreciate that authenticity, totally. um, a lot more. And so, you know, getting, getting positive feedback and, and just knowing that you're valuable,
1: yeah.
2: even if people maybe don't say totally. it that can help, but it's, it's a hard road. It
1: is. Yeah. And I think it's a road that we have to keep like, at least for me, like, cause I, I relate to some of what you're saying. Cause I did also have a lot of pushback as a kid. Mm-hmm. I had pushback at home, but I also had pushback at school. Like I know ne- I, for plenty of reasons, I also never quite fit in. <laughs> um, Probably a lot of it was just that I was, I was dealing with stuff at home that made me just, I had a hard time relating to people my age. Um, And, and I, I just, I was really insecure, but I also was like really stubborn stubbornly like this is what I am you know like it's just a weird combination of like I like a lot of things about myself but I'm very insecure about how they'll be received mm-hmm. you know it's, it's a weird combination of things so I think I also had some early practice with like sorry like this is what I love and this is what I do and I would not know I'm this I'm just gonna do it um and I know that in my life like I'm I feel continually like i'm kind of fluctuating between like like always kind of reevaluating like am i settling into like um you know any patterns that maybe like don't feel totally in line with like what feels most authentic and it's tricky as you um at least from my perspective as you combine like personal growth like what's authentic for you like should change as you right. like become an adult like hopefully you're not the same authentic self that you were when you were 10, you know? Oh, gosh,
2: <laughs> I think we've seen what a
1: national nightmare that can be. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. So like, we're always, you're trying to grow in yourself and then kind of going like, is this new growth? Like, is this new, you know, skill or, or whatever that I've developed? Like, is it in line with my like permanent long-term values? Like, um, and I, and I think it's, it's a skill that we should all like kind of keep working on. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, and it's
2: interesting too, because during the pandemic, having no one real, not a lot of people to talk to and, and having a schedule that's a lot less hustly than it used to be. Yeah. Give me a, give me time to think. And, and, you know, yeah. you like, you can kind of look back and see how you've changed and sort of evaluate, well, do I like the fact that I've changed this right. way
1: or, totally or what I mean? Yeah. And what do you think? Like, what have you been thinking about?
2: Well, you know, I, um, a couple of things I realized like how dominant the hustle had been in my life before the pandemic because I mean you know you know what the life is like you're driving all over the place and prepping for gigs all Mm -hmm. the time and and I realized that like I had sort of Gone on autopilot a little bit with some of my music making where it was like just whatever you got to do to get through the gig and get paid and get out right and um I wasn't deriving as much pleasure from it sure and and you know in that situation too a lot of times you have other people telling you what you should play and how you should play it and while that's important it can you know it can start to impact Mm and so you know, just realizing that and realizing like how things trying to reevaluate my life balance of like, am I happy with how things are balancing or do I need to adjust a few things here and there? And, you know, um, so I'm been trying to, trying to figure out how to create my authentic self, I guess, uh, as a, as a, you know, 30 year old adult, right? Like, Cause it is, it's, it's totally different. And as you move through these different seasons, like in grad school, yeah, music has to be the dominant thing. Yeah. And it took a little bit for me to wake up and be like, oh yeah, you know, I do actually have time to go indulge in some of these other hobbies right. or, you know, learn, totally.
1: learn how to cook or whatever. Yeah. So, um, I love that you use the word, create the verb, create, like create my authentic self. Cause I, I do think of it like that. Like, I think, you know, th- like we could use the verb, like find you know, and and not that that's wrong, like, but I do think it is a bit of both. Like, you know, what's authentic to yourself can be like a mixture of, you know, your your kind of gut instinct, personality traits and your goals and your values and what you'd like, the kind of person you'd like to be. Um, yeah. And kind of a consistent like reevaluation Mm-hmm. process um when you were so did you I'm assuming you played some other instruments before trombone or maybe took piano lessons
2: yeah I took piano lessons funny story actually I took it so in in my school district we had this thing called knowledge bowl and it was basically like jeopardy but on teams cool um and because I was I was in the the GT program where they would put a fifth and sixth grade like you know the top 10 from each grade together okay to like give an advanced experience okay but that caused all kinds of drama and so they canceled it but the curriculum we had been on was the sixth grade curriculum and i was in fifth grade right. so essentially in sixth grade i didn't have anything to do yeah <laughs> and so yeah um what they did is they had this knowledgeable and in sixth grade they, it happened to be on humanities so we studied music art literature and painting. And they didn't have anyone to run it. And my mom was working at home. And so she says, Okay, well, I'll come in and I'll teach these kids. So she took all of us in that situation. And um, as a result of that, I asked my mom if I could take piano lessons. So she signed me up with this lady who was a little bit bonkers. And nine months into my piano, well, six months into piano lessons, I started playing trombone. Okay. And three months after that, I broke my arm. So I couldn't play piano, but I could play trombone. But because oh. I was so young into it, by the time I got back to piano, I couldn't read treble clef anymore. Okay. And so, and, and my teacher being bonky and trombone being more
1: fun, I was just yeah. like, you know what, forget it. I'm yeah. just going to drop we're, piano. T- we're doing trombone <laughs> so. now. Okay. Okay. Um, I want to know, so you're in like sixth grade when you start playing trombone, mm-hmm. why trombone? Like what, what did you like about it? You know, uh, a lot of people
2: ask me that and I never really quite sure. Um, I was pretty, uh, I, I was much more of an alpha girl when I yeah. was younger, you know, I, I'm not maybe alpha girl, but like competitive yeah and, yeah and like i must win everything o- i am the best yeah. at everything and okay. and like it was almost to the point of being like crazy town so i had to really that yeah. down that <laughs> down but i was like well i want to play the best instrument obviously and yeah, um of course in music man 76 trombones right? leads the big parade so oh, i guess i'm a trombone player. i see so that's that's what i tell <laughs> me i don't think that's actually true yeah um i always liked that motion like when I was a kid, I was sick a lot, and my, my reward for getting through the doctor's office without, like, punching people yeah. was I would get candy at the little penny store across the street. Yeah. And I would always get the slide whistles, the candy ones yeah, with, yeah. like, the things. And yeah. I would love those. Like, I would play those yeah. all the time. and Like, the slide whistle was my favorite instrument. Um, but I think really what sealed the deal was I was watching PBS, actually. yeah, And there was a brass quartet, quintet, quintet, brass quintet that came on. And the trombonist had a solo, and I remember just hearing it for the first time, like yeah. on a professional level, and just falling in love with that sound. That I was tremble. like, that yeah. is an amazing sound. I wanna be able to do that. And that was right around the time we were picking instruments. And so I said, yeah. I wanna do, I wanted to play brass, but I didn't wanna play trumpet, because that's what my dad played, and I didn't wanna oh, be yeah. like my dad. Right. And I didn't know the other ones. So, yeah, <laughs> I You think... were
1: like, French horn? What's I've never DL heard there. of that, you know? Um, the trombone is a really beautiful instrument. Like, I mean, I don't need to say that to you, but I, I, I feel like it, people like just culturally think of it as kind of like the silly slidey one. The Charlie Brown teacher sound. Right. But like the, the sound is really warm. Like it's, I mean, I always feel like it's, it's really close to a voice, Mm -hmm. like a, like a alto voice or something. Um, I think it's a really like, like a, it's just like a kind of objectively lovely sound. Well, thanks. Um, I definitely like it too. <laughs> so, okay. So right around the time that you, I, I always like to ask people like, okay, so you started playing trombone when you were in sixth grade and that's what you're doing now at that time, were you doing other things like painting, writing poetry? Like, were you doing other stuff? Oh
2: yeah, absolutely. But I was kind of more on the other side of things. Cause, okay. um, I was always the girl who was good at science and you know how you get labeled sometimes in school. So because I was good at math and science, all my teachers were kind of grooming me to go in towards like a physics engineering degree. And I liked it and I was good at it and I enjoy figuring out how things work. So I was kind of okay with it. But on the side, I had this thing that was just like, you know, a fun hobby that was a a stress relief sort of a thing.
1: What were you making? Um, were you, were you building like motors? What were you doing? Oh, yeah, I mean like
2: I <laughs> wired together my own lightsaber with a like cool. light tube and stuff and cool. Um you know So just, you were building like machines? Machines and, and doing chemistry experience experiments and just okay. you know, reading science books intensely and okay.
1: yeah, just being super nerdy. <laughs> and you were reading a lot of fiction too, right? Oh like, yeah, just okay. So you were your creative mind was like you were consuming a lot of fiction you were consuming like movies oh yeah you were like a fan mm-hmm. and then you were playing trombone and you were making machine things yeah okay anything we're missing is that like well i was i was outside a lot too okay i'm um, super you know i've
2: always been an avid hiker and i was on the track team and so i was mm-hmm. always out playing okay. with my dog and stuff but yeah what so. kind of music were you listening to mostly soundtracks okay. um soundtracks and then like, uh, old hippie music, yeah. you know, like Neil Diamond sure. and the seventies. Cause my dad had been a DJ when he was younger. really, Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So he had all these old records. Cool. And so uh, even though I was like, there were very few rules in the house, yeah. but one of them was you don't touch the turntable, but being against rules, obviously I was yeah. always You're playing like, with the turntable, right? the turntable. Yeah. Dad. In fact, I think there were two rules. One was no balls upstairs and one is don't touch the turntable. Yeah. And those were broken all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we had like, records like that. Um, That's great. But yeah, mostly it was... You you were (laughs)
1: listening to a lot of stuff that had brass, like the soundtracks and then... Lots
2: of John Williams. Like that was pretty much all I I knew for a while. And then that humanities uh, program that we were in, we had to study like Tchaikovsky and Dvorak and a lot of the old romantics. So I had access to those recordings as well.
1: Yeah, my early listening experience was sad. I think like I had i had access to so little i mean i had like um cassette tapes for like les mis and the Phantom of the opera cassette tapes and cats (laughs) Uh like i had a couple of broadway cassette tapes i had like um you know in sync oh my gosh and celine dion yeah and uh maroon five like their first album yeah there was very little going on and then like it wasn't until i was Like, I didn't start listening to jazz until I was, like, 16, and then I had, like, I had, like, a boyfriend when I was, like, 18 who burned me a bunch of CDs of, like, Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd, and I really loved those things. Nice. But, yeah, my listening was really limited when I was a child. Um, there just was like my mom and dad would listen to like Madonna,
2: which, you know, like
1: (laughs) fine pop training. Oh yeah. Um, but, but I definitely didn't have access to classical music. I did have, I did have a cassette tape that had the Nutcracker on one side and Swan Lake on the other side. And I have been an insomniac since I was born and I listened to those like at night a lot nice so there was that like I know the Nutcracker really well Mm -hmm. and I know Swan Lake really well (laughs) and there's nothing like nothing else um okay so talk me through like your your junior high and high school years um what was happening with your creativity and you can tell me about trombone specific things or anything else um and I'd like to know how you went from like someone who's picking up trombone to someone who's like, majoring in trombone.
2: <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, because that's that's a, that's a funny story. A,
1: uh, there's a lot there. There is yeah. a lot there. There usually yeah. is. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, in junior high and high school, I was never, like, I didn't identify as the band kid. That was like something I did, but I know a lot of my students that I see like band is life and it's the thing that's keeping them in school. And I was never really like that. I just, I really liked playing the trombone. I like being able to manipulate the sound and create things and how what was in my head come out the bell. So for me, it was more of a solitary, I guess, experience. I was in band, but the band like, you know, not 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 everybody in band plays at the same level, you know? And so I got pretty bored.
1: Um. A lot of time in band, but... Were your teachers like, oh my gosh, Michelle, you're really good at this. (laughs) Did you feel like, did you feel like you were better at it than a lot of your peers? Yeah. I mean, I think I did, Um,
2: you know, and the teachers definitely helped with that. I would get like band student of the year awards and um, things like that. And I was, you know, usually, I think I was always first chair uh, for as long as I can remember anyway. But I, I mean, I didn't, I was... This is going to sound super braggy, but I was kind of like better than most of my student, most of my peers at just about everything at that yeah, stage. Sure, and so it I to don't me, think it's braggy. Oh. It
1: just, I mean, it just is what and it I just, is. I did well in school, yeah. you know.
2: Like I, I can't really help it, Um, but. So to me, it wasn't unusual that, yeah, of course, I'm yeah. really good at, at this.
1: Okay. Um, it didn't feel like, oh, I'm a musician. It was just like, I'm no. slightly advanced. Right. Well, it's peers. just like, okay,
2: well, everything I try, I I can do at a yeah. comparable level. Because up to that point, not true anymore, but up to that yeah. point, oh, well, you know, yeah. um, it was. So to me, it didn't seem unusual that I was, you know, making all-state orchestra and things okay. like that. But, um, uh terms of the other question, being a music major, that was a weird road. Um, I ended up being at BYU for a lot longer, a couple of years longer than I'd planned on. You did your bachelor's degree there. Okay. right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and part of the, part of the problem was I, uh, I got into a, uh, a bit of a, a biking accident oh. that, um, it's, I don't know if I want to admit it for people, but I'll tell you afterwards. It's okay. pretty funny. <laughs> okay. But uh, the end result was I was very sick for my freshman year at BYU, okay. um, which kind of gave me an unusual college in you know experience right yeah. off the get go, which sort of was good and sort of bad, but in a way it allowed me to sort of take a step back and sure. evaluate. Cause I was, like I said, I was hardcore on the, we're going to be a physicist. We're going to okay. be an engineer a path. Like there was no Question that I would go into arts, but I realized as I was taking these classes, I was not happy. Yeah. And I was excelling in them, but I was not enjoying my life. I wasn't enjoying. Like the engineering projects where I was the only girl in the lab and none yeah. of the guys could figure out how to talk to me. Ugh. And uh, th- those were That's super. That's also
1: a, partly a BYU problem. It
2: really was. But i like, I would walk into these labs to do my homework and the conversation would just shut down and everyone would stare at me, yeah. which I found super awkward. And oh, I hate that. Yeah. So even though I'm like, you know, one of the very few women in as a trombone player, yeah. at least it, the that awkwardness. Were a little more. They well, were more
1: accepting. And, yeah. Yeah. Like even because I felt the same way, like I was the only woman in most of my classes in college. But like just the fact that we're it's the arts. It's just it's just like a little culturally a little different. Yeah. Like it's not great to be the only woman, but it's better to be the only woman in like you know a jazz improv class than the only woman in like a physics class i would assume
2: yeah yeah and i think that artists by and large because we are so quirky we're a lot more willing to put up with other people's that's quirks. what i mean and like yeah. just
1: when you're in creative when you're in like creative mindset all day it's just like a little bit easier to be like to extend that creativity like just like you're saying to mm-hmm. like and we're, and we're a whole bunch of kind of outcasty people sometimes. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's plenty of reasons why it's a little easier to be the only woman in, in an art space. I, I think. Yeah. I yeah. would agree with that,
2: at least based on my experience. And yeah. I'm, you know, I really hope it's better. And my hats are off to all the women who were able to make it and, yeah. and put up with that behavior. Yeah. Um, but I just, for me, I didn't like it. And I was realizing um, so in high school, I started studying with the college professor at BYU. Okay. And so because of that, he encouraged me to keep doing music at BYU, which okay. I may not have even realized was an option otherwise. Right. But, you know, for a while, he was kind of the only person I knew that was there was my trombone teacher. And then I knew the trombone players and you know how trombone players are. Like if you, if you walk in with a trombone and somebody else is a trombone player, like it's instant friends, yeah. right? <laughs> it's such a weird sectional <laughs> quirk. I love that. And so... All my friends were trombone players. I was hanging out with them. They were the only ones I was seeing kind of consistently between semesters because mm-hmm. otherwise it's like you have this class of right. 300 and you leave. Right. Um, and I just, I guess, started to think about, well, you know, I'm getting good enough. I could perhaps pursue this. Yeah. Because I finally started to take it seriously in practice after like, yeah. you know, two years or so of college. And I I didn't want to give it up. I realized once I, once I left college, that was going to kind of be it where I was at. And so, um, I changed my major a ton of times because, I realized that, well, science and math, I don't want to be here for my whole life. I will go insane. Yeah. And then, but it was like, but then what? Because yeah. up to that point, my whole goals in life had been get admitted to BYU, yeah. go
1: into a science program. I love hearing you talk about this <laughs> because like, I mean, I realize you're not finished and I want you to finish, no, it's but, totally fine. but I think so many professional artists have more like a story that's more like, I just wasn't good at anything else. And I think it's really helpful to hear someone who's chosen the arts say like i was good at a lot of things when this is just this is what i wanted um and i i wish like i think i felt a similar way i also got good grades and could have majored in plenty of things Mm -hmm. and i picked music because of the same reasons you picked music like i just felt like this i'm not I don't know that I'll be happy like and and not that I maybe could have fully articulated that it it was it was a lot more of like a like just a feeling than like a a declaration Mm -hmm. um but yeah I mean I, I I wish that more people could understand that like these choices are are valid choices right and and even that like lots of times these choices involve you know, a young person realizing there will be hard things about this. And mm-hmm. these are the hard things that I pick because right. the hard things that will happen if I go into engineering or whatever will be harder for me. Like <laughs> I may have a more stable income or whatever, but I'll be totally lost, you know? Right. I know.
2: Like you'd be, I, I, I felt like if I'd have gone that route, yeah, I probably could have been successful, but I've never be complete if I did that. Um, and I like the words you used valid because I took a lot of blowback when I changed my major. Yeah. Um, and because I changed it so many times, I'm like, Oh, that'll just be your major for a day or whatever. But you know, everyone who knew me, like I dread seeing people I knew as a child who haven't seen me for years.
1: they are they like disappointed? Oh, in Oh, totally. Yeah. And every time they're like, what that. do you
2: do? And I'm like, well, I'm a musician. And it's like, oh, you had so much potential. Oh, It makes me mad. Oh, so <laughs> mad. And I'm like, you know, I, I teach at a university. I have a doctorate oh, degree in this. Yeah. It's not like I'm not like have some credentials in what I'm doing. Like, yeah. and I believe it's important, but I remember, um, I came back and visited my parents for Christmas and this guy I hadn't talked to since I was I don't know, maybe 11 when he scared my St. Bernard and and almost got bit. Like that's the sole interaction I'd had with him. And he goes, I think it's a total waste that universities are paying you to teach students one-on-one. And I was just like, excuse me? Like, who are you? You don't know me. Why are you, you feel like you can comment on my life choices. So Um, yeah.
1: I would love to hear you comment on your life choices. Like what do you think about this? Like what would you want to say to like the people who feel like, you know, pursuing a career in the arts is like a disappointment for someone who like could have done something else
2: oh i don't know because honestly it's it's to me like the choices i make and i I knew the bed i was making before i got into it and i did it as informed as i feel like you can be as an undergraduate student um But I I mean, I kind of look at them and I'd be like, okay, well, you guys have been locked in your house for 10 months. What have you been doing to pass the time? Like what has been pulling you through? And, um, I I don't know, like music, music is about so much more than just making pleasing sounds that other people like, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the, the skills that you can teach and the impact you can have on people's lives through your art. Like, I feel like that should be Valued, But, you know, in the society we're in, if it's not making somebody else money, then it's not worth it. Right. So,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot about to just like, I I don't know, I I'm always thinking about this because I I feel similarly, like I feel like a bit of a disappointment to a lot of people in my childhood and and people who whose opinions I do care about, you know, like, well, I wish you could see that, like, Mm -hmm. these things that I've been working on, like, are valuable but I mean, I think there's like a, I think one thing that people forget to think about is that we have different needs. <laughs> like we have different needs. Yeah. And some of us like just don't need, like maybe we don't need the kind of stability that someone else needs. Like, like for example, like I don't want to have children if I wanted to have you know, one, but if I wanted to have like four or five kids, like I would need a different kind of stability Mm -hmm. than I have. Right. Um, if I wanted to live in Laguna beach, California, I would need a different kind of stability than I have. Mm -hmm. Um, but also like I need new, like new projects, new, like so much, Mm -hmm. like my, like mental health, depends like so dramatically on like having variety. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think people forget to understand that like what really is good for one person, like really just might not be <laughs> like right. who is anyone to say that? Like you should have like, you know, right. Like, you just have diff- you have different wants, you have different desires.
2: Right. And you know, like we've said, creative people tend to, to kind of march out a step to a lot of society. Yeah. And, um, I think that when you, when you're seeing things in just sort of, you know, a very specific, unyielding mindset of what success looks like or what happiness right. should be, right. you know, it maybe is, I don't know. I feel sorry for those people, yeah. honestly, because yeah. like their, their life is so much Less than
1: it could be, I feel like. Yeah, they're feeling that about you. Yeah, I know. It kind of goes both ways. So, you know. I'm not saying that like they're as right as you. I mean, I tend to agree with you.
2: I think, you know, it's different different strokes for different folks, I guess. But I think that regardless of what you decide to do, I think that um, as human beings, kind of we owe our support to the individual that they made the choices that would make them happy and if we can see they're struggling maybe perhaps guide them to different choices but if they're fine with where they're at and there's no apparent problems with what they're doing go and be you you know
1: like yes especially like i was thinking before like you and i both know like so many people who started out as music majors who then became computer scientists right yeah and i don't see that as like oh they should have just became computer scientists like That path like through the arts to the sciences was like something that they need maybe needed to do. Right. You know, and like, I don't know, it's yeah, I'm with you, like zooming out and kind of looking at a person in the hole and, you know, letting people kind of find their way through their lives. Like it just makes a lot more sense to me than like the shoulds. Of like yes. what your early 20s, you know, like <laughs> you're in your early 20s, like you don't know. Right. Nobody has it figured
2: out then. And yeah. if they say they do, they're either like not opening themselves up to the possibilities or they're very wrong. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. But, yeah, I think you're right. But yeah, I mean, like the arts can teach you so much more, even if you don't end up being a professional in it. You know, like I can, I can list a ton of things that I learned through studying music that have made me a better person, makes me able to relate to other human beings better that you can't get if you're just staring at ones and zeros.
1: I think that's what I mean. Like those people will be a different kind of computer scientist or whatever, Mm -hmm. because they have a jazz studies degree or, you know, whatever it is. Right. Not that every computer scientist needs a jazz studies degree, but like, it's good that some of them have you know, like those people are doing a slightly different thing, no matter how you spin it, you Mm -hmm. know? And I feel the same way about people who do like a lot of sports, like, or whatever, you know, like, I think we should, like you said, we should like, what, how did you put it? Like, respect the individual, like, um, like trust that they're kind of like, you know, doing their best. And then if it really seems like they're struggling, then like, sure. But take take that individual into account like when trying to you know force them into a template right Right. i hate templates i i
2: yeah i think the number of templates we have like you know in trombone we've got seven positions right that's what we always tell people but in reality each note has its own spot and so you know, I think that applies a lot to humans that we all have our own spot and maybe yeah. we're in like this particular camp, but we've got our own spot. That's where we're the most in tune. Yeah. And if you try to, like, if you try to force that note into a slide position, you don't want, it's not going to be the best note it can be. Yeah. And the same with humans. If we try to force them, even just a little one way or the other, you got to kind of figure out where they want to be and yeah. then go with that. But... Yes. Yes. Um, will you tell me about your doctoral research? Oh sure, yeah. So um, for my my dissertation, I looked at it's a phenomenon that's known as self handicapping.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Jenny, I was talking about it with Jenny after we stopped recording, uh-huh. and I was like, "I'm interviewing her like in two weeks. I'll ask her about it." Cool. Yeah. Um, well, it was. I can't
2: even really remember how I started to hear about it, but at UNT, you know, we we see a lot of people, and some of them are amazing musicians who just wash out, yeah. and you kind of wonder. I, I started to wonder because. I always felt like the underdog at UNT. Um, I had some, like half my face got numbed in, uh, getting my wisdom teeth out. And so when I started at UNT, like I couldn't feel my face, which is kind of important if you're playing trombone. So my first year there was not good and everybody kind of broke me off because I wasn't playing at my best. And, and so, um, I always had this kind of underdog complex as a result of that. And I would look at all these people that were way more ahead in terms of like talent and connection and stuff who just didn't seem to spark and would just wash out and, and, and give up. Yeah, And I couldn't figure out like why this was happening. So I started to kind of research it and, and I, I came across this process of self-handicapping, which is where, um, individuals closely identify with a particular skill or task, but they are unsure of whether or not they can succeed at that. And so mm. rather than finding out and, and discovering that perhaps they're lacking, they'll create impediments that they can then blame any yeah. failure onto. And yeah. I think we all do that. I know I'm certainly guilty of it in a lot of different ways. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone can relate to this at a certain point, but as you continue to do this, it can become very problematic for your overall potential and success right. because, you know, if you're continually not succeeding at tasks, it doesn't matter what the reasons are, people start to notice you're not succeeding. Right. And, and so you, you can't quite make it there. So what I did is I designed a study based off of several psychological constructs that had already been tested. So yeah. like the scale for depression, the scale for imposter phenomenon, um, the self-handicapping scale, the roto one. Um, and I put these into a survey and I sent it across the country, um, by, I like, I emailed the trombone professor, one vocal professor and like the, the orchestra director or something like I'd try to get a good mix yeah. of people. And it came back and the results were like, I was so happy with how the demographics shook out because it was like exactly what I needed. But the kind of upshot of this was that a lot of musicians suffer from the self-handicapping. But the interesting thing was people who identify themselves as professional musicians, so which I defined as making more than... I think it was 60% of your income from music, teaching, gigging, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The professional musicians had a significantly lower rate of self-handicapping than amateurs did. So there's a lot of follow-up study I want to do with that. I'm in the process of developing some stuff to kind of chase that down. Yeah, the pandemic sort of
1: shut a lot of that down. That is so interesting. Like, you you just talked about it, like, very, like, matter-of-factly, but I hope the listener is, like gathering how interesting these ideas are <laughs> um i'm trying to think of what i want to ask like i i think i i think i if you want to i'd love to hear you talk about like um what you're you know uh, thinking you might find like what are you thinking about next and or maybe like what are your personal experiences with these things that maybe like don't belong in a paper but that you think are interesting and would want to tell right um
2: well i think um one of the biggest sort of like takeaways that I've had from it is being aware of this behavior can really, um, be a game changer. Like as a teacher, now there's, there's a lot of different constructs into whether a person's going to succumb to self-handicapping or not. Um, there's some thought. some of the earlier research was on like, um, parental style. So like people Mm -hmm. who maybe think, their parents' love is not unconditional, but that it's tied to their performance that they'll be afraid to achieve. Um, because if, if they, if they try and they fail, then their parents will look at them and be like, "Eh, you're not worth the effort and kind of cast them off. So you can have that sort of situation. Um, from what I, this is, this is anecdotally, but it's also one of the things that I'm, I'm working on. I had a friend who did a paper on pedagogic, um, relationships so yeah. like how students and teachers interact. Right. Yeah. And he found that there's a, a large number of music students who will sort of have almost a parental relationship with their yeah. teachers. So that can kind of kick that self-handicapping behavior right. off. Um, the other thing is um, your motivation strategies. Like if you're trying to be better than somebody else, well, that's kind of out of your control. But if you can be more intrinsically motivated yeah. and just be want to be better than yourself... Then it can kind of free you up to not yeah. have these. But I know I find myself a lot if I'm starting to get nervous about a performance or whatever. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll find reasons yeah. not to practice, and then if the performance doesn't go well, I can say, like "Oh, well, I didn't have the time I needed to practice." Totally. And so just knowing that I have that
1: tendency yeah. can really help um,
2: help with that. I
1: had that. I had. I some. That's so interesting. Like I. I mean, I think we it's something that I've noticed as well. Like you see it a lot and especially this thing of like, how is this person who's so much naturally better than me dropping out? Like Mm -hmm. what is going on? And I feel like I saw that and continue to see it so much like people who I think are much more talented than I am like kind of giving up on their careers, um, giving up on their artistry. Mm Um, yeah. and, And it's weird. Um, I didn't know about any of these parent things, but I feel like I have, like, I feel like my resilience in that, in those kinds of areas is totally related to my parents because they didn't care either way. Like, there was no attention either way. Like, I could be the best in the class or the best in whatever, get the audition, and they, there was just, like, there was no praise attached or no Mm -hmm. like validation attached. So I think I, with my like stubborn personality kind of learned really early to just not be kind of results driven, Mm -hmm. but just like, you know, well, I like to do things. I like to be productive. Um, yeah. So I think that kind of stuff never sticks to me in those kinds of situations. Mm -hmm. I do think I probably do self- Handicapping in relationships. Oh, definitely, um, that's a big one. Yeah, but in terms of like productivity, mm-hmm. I do, I think it doesn't affect me because I never got that attack. You know, I don't I don't have that initial problem of like my worth might be connected to.
2: Yeah, well, and I think um, the main thing it's not necessarily like a parental thing. Yeah, um, it's the uncertainty sure. of not knowing. Sure. And I feel like you were always fairly confident in your abilities, so it could be that. Like the more certain you are, the less likely you will self-handicap. And if you, Mm -hmm. you know, staying within arenas that are reasonable, choosing repertoire that's reasonable, projects that are, that you can accomplish rather than being like waking up one day and saying you're going to go win the audition with the Berlin Philharmonic, you know, that's, those are sorts of things that can lead to the uncertainty and, you know, also like, you know, a
1: negative success spiral and things like that. And, um, I definitely feel confident in my ability to improve. Mm-hmm. I don't, I rarely feel confident about my like ability period, <laughs> but, I, but I pretty consistently feel confident about like my, my own, uh, potential for like active, like activity, mm-hmm. like active change, active, like, yeah, just actionable anything. Like I I do, I feel like in control of my own, like choices and how they relate to my skill set.
2: Yeah. Oh, it sounds to me like you're describing a a growth mindset versus like a static mindset.
1: Fixed. Yeah. I read
2: Carol Dweck's book too. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I have a friend who was researching this. We met on, um, on a, like a convention or something. And, and that, that plays a big deal. You know, I always think of it to myself as sort of like Batman versus Superman. Yeah. Like, can you change where you're right. heading or are you stuck with like these, are you born with superpowers or are you right. not?
1: So, um, yeah, that's really cool. I'll look forward to hearing your next phase of research.
2: Yeah. I I've got some pretty cool projects in the works. Um, because I I'm not trained per se in psychology. Like, I mean, I didn't take formal classes. I've done a lot of reading and worked with psychologists. Um, yeah. It takes a bit to put the studies together, but um, but yeah. Then the next one we're looking at is kind of kind of a, a, a close to my heart sort of a subject because we're I'm, I want to look at depression, which is also plays a factor into self handicapping and see our yeah. uh, you know how our music schools feeding into this. Because totally. One of the sort of unintended results that we found in the survey when we were running the numbers is that it was almost but not quite significant we were off by like 0.01 or something and the depression levels self-reported at like i was looking specifically at unt versus byu idaho and like the numbers of students that are self-reporting moderate to severe depression at some of these music schools was very high yeah so what i'm hoping to do is maybe we can look and see What's
1: going on, and whether the like pedagogy and cultural, cult, like the environment of the, the school is contributing it, exactly? Yeah, because I know we both
2: have lost good friends to to mental illness, yeah. and so if there's something we can do to kind of maybe shore that up,
1: that would be. Awesome. I think about that as an educator so much. Mm-hmm. Like, how can we strike a balance between you know letting our students know that they need to improve, and also letting them know like you're valuable even if you don't. Like, right. you know. Right. And it's so
2: hard because,
1: um, you know, the the non-contingent
2: praise, like praise that isn't directly linked with an action that the students can say, my teacher said I did well because I did this. Like right. that non-contingent praise that... I know I am guilty of sometimes just tossing out there or being like very vague in what I like. I'll be like, oh yeah, that sounded good. Let's move on. And yeah. not being specific, like that yeah. can feed into self-handicapping, which can then feed into totally. depression. Yeah. And it's hard. It's a fine
1: line as an yeah. educator to walk. Yeah. 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 Especially when we're dealing with stuff that's really subjective. Mm-hmm. I think about that a lot, especially teaching commercial music because oh, yeah. who knows what, it could be a hit, you know, mm-hmm. like it's not in any way, you know, tied to like technique uh. in the same way that it, that it's success might be, you know, so really trying to kind of like value an individual's, um, creative voice, but then also say like, these are some industry wide skills that you should have. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really tricky balance to yeah. to say like, like who am in some ways, like who am I to say, whether they're marketable you know because the stuff's popping up all the time that we're like that's marketable oh my gosh yes (laughs) i didn't know that that would be right Um, why is
2: this popular yeah
1: yeah like so that's something that i think about so often like checking try to check trying to check my own bias with like what's common in the industry with what you know the history of pedagogy like there's just so many things about it that are yeah and and i always tend to come back to like If we're teaching, if, if our students leave us knowing how to learn, if they leave us with resiliency, like those are the things that are Mm -hmm. the most valuable things because then they can continue to apply those things to like whatever the, their career path like hands them. Yeah.
2: That's, that's definitely how I approach it too. Because, you know, I know not very few of my students are going to want to go on to be professional musicians, Yeah, but if you can teach them some of these other skills that are applicable for everyday life right. that maybe they're not getting anywhere else i
1: think you know that that's what makes it worthwhile sometimes. couldn't agree more yeah couldn't agree more um do you want to take a look and see uh, mm-hmm. at your laptop and see if there's any other stuff that you just like want to talk about oh
2: no i i mean if you want to we can i just was going through the prompts and just being yeah like, so i, I like
1: to it. spend some time like i i do like to spend some time at the at the end just kind of like talking about you know whatever is on your mind about the arts like um you know the podcast is called artifice um because it's a cool word i say this like almost every episode (laughs) it's a word that i like and also because i really think the arts are misunderstood so even if like we are not committing artifice you know like um as uh, you know at the helm of our own artifice like we do get misunderstood what we do is misunderstood what we do is just you know people are people are ignorant about it um And also even just like at a really personal level, like even from, you know, artist to artist, like the things that are difficult for me are different than the things that are difficult for you. And I think sometimes like just having us kind of talk about those kind of unspoken things is really useful. So is there anything like, I know it's so broad, but is there anything kind of, you know, that you know that you're like, I wish people knew this or just anything you want to talk about of that stuff that's kind of like, unknown about what you do what's difficult for you what's easy for you what you think about or just any like really any thoughts you have about the arts and creativity it's it's a free-for-all yeah well <laughs> that that's a very open-ended question um so I was wondering if there was like any like any of the prompts that you were like ooh, I want to talk about this like <laughs>
2: I think we covered most of the stuff that that I was kind of thinking about last night. I'm also a raging insomniac, so I was like laying in bed last night, going, "I can't sleep." Let's just pop this yeah, open and, and take a it. check at it. So, um, I don't know. I think that I think we we really have touched on a lot of things. But for me, um, I guess the thing that I think about most with the arts right now is with everything shutting down. I I kind of wonder what the future of our industry is going to look like. Yeah. You know, are we is is Zoom gonna become a thing that we're really we're gonna be doing that.
1: I'm so worried about it
2: yeah I know I'm like I think that the the days of taking Christmas and saying like I don't want to see any of you for three weeks yeah. are probably gone because you yeah. know students can just zoom in now um but the other thing that's been cool about this is I've been able to reconnect with a lot of my musician friends that are like around the world and that I haven't seen for a while. So like, for instance, you know, you can go do master classes at your friend's school where finances maybe had been right. a, a factor. You can just be like, Oh, cool. And you can, you know, I definitely. Agree so there. well, it's been weirdly isolating, it's also been like connecting in a different yeah. way too. And I don't know, it's just been interesting to watch the world, but particularly our corner of the world yeah, as we're adapting
1: to all of this. But, um, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I have another question. Okay. Okay. I want to know, um, what, how, like, how do you feel, do you feel like being in, being a musician, being an artist, being a creative, like how does that interact with your identity? Like, do you feel like it's like primary in your identity? Do you feel like it's like a part of your identity? Do you feel like it, like, do you experience it as like one overall layer that informs all other things? Like how, how does being an artist like, uh, interplay with your sense of self?
2: That is a very interesting question because it's actually something I've been giving a lot of thought to lately. Um, and you know, I think that being a musician, we joke about how none of us really have last names anymore. Like I'm Michelle Trombone, you're Emily Jassinger, you know, (laughs) none of us know what our last names are, but I really do think that it plays a large portion of of, um, kind of how we feel we present ourselves to the world. But, you know, that being said, I've been thinking a lot about how this identity does work. Cause you know, with the uncertainty, I'm like, well, you know, what would plan B be if you decided you wanted to go that route instead yeah. for whatever reason? And what we do shouldn't define who we are as people. And yet yeah. I think as musicians, that line is so thin. Blurry. Yeah. Um, because, our art is such an extension of who we are yeah. that it's very hard to just be like, well, you know, it's five o'clock works yeah. over chunk, you yeah, know, yeah, because yeah. it's always in our mind. We're always thinking about it. Even, you know, we're at the family dinner or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're half the brain is still kind of going yeah. on this project. Have I practiced whatever, um, from sort of a, like from the research that I was doing and how the, the closeness of identity is tied to, um, perhaps engaging in self-handicap materials I've been trying to somewhat delineate that a bit more for myself to see if that will kind of help maybe does the distance
1: help yeah yeah to just or the the
2: boundary exactly because you know I'm I'm a tinkerer and so I've been trying to to figure that out but um it's interesting as you kind of put that distance in to sort of like I definitely felt a void you know when all of a sudden I was out of cause I run in Denton, I'm running in like almost an exclusively musician circle. Yeah. And then here that's it's a totally different world. Yeah. And I definitely did fill that void when sort of that musiciany part of my identity yeah. was sort of put on the shelf. No, I got really depressed at the beginning of the pandemic Gosh. about that as well. Yeah because yeah yeah, you know you're the same way like we we're either interacting with student musicians or peer musicians or you know it's hard to talk to normies sometimes Uh like what do regular people talk about
1: it's so true it's true and it's not like oh it's you know but it really is like (laughs) we we really do like you're so right like your brain is always thinking about and you know i have the luxury of interviewing all kinds of artists like i interview authors and painters and filmmakers and chefs. I just interview people who do creative things and and fairly exclusively like the arts, but you know, I, I've, I interviewed like an architect, like, you know, the boundaries of what we consider the arts is maybe like, depends who you ask. But, um, but I interview creative people and I think we all are kind of like this. And one thing that I've, that I found really interesting is like some of my guests will say things to me like, Um, like I interviewed a choreographer who said, um, something I think about all the time. Like he said something like people who have seen my work know me better than people who haven't, like like there's a part of me that only exists there that like, you won't understand unless you've seen it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of us, it's, it's not even so much like, I mean, maybe some of us feel like our whole identity gets into our work. It It is, you know, regardless of what the relationship is, like your identity is in your work in a way that it's maybe not if you are a m- manager. Right.
2: Yeah. There's no way to not leave your fingerprints all over everything that yeah. you're doing, which I kind of like. I yeah. don't know. I mean. Um,
1: makes me feel excited about my work.
2: Right. Yeah. yeah. Because everybody could do maybe being a manager, right? You have different managerial styles. whatever you could argue that point, but, but not everyone can do or say what I can do. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I like that, but at the same time, I, I've found myself asking myself frequently, if I stripped music out of who I am, what's left, Yeah, you know? Um, but you know, it's not a bad thing to have your creative passions take up so much of yourself. I don't think, I don't think that's bad in any way at all. Yeah.
1: So, but I agree and you know. and I tend to feel like I think the place that I've at least currently kind of settled with these questions, not that they're remotely settled, but the, <laughs> the way ever? that I feel about it right now is like I feel like creativity is like really integral to my person, and music is just my primary method of expression, um rather than that maybe like particularly music is a big part of my identity, and that feels. More a little bit more peaceful to me. Like then, I think like if for some reason I couldn't sing, I could probably find something else that would be creative to do. It would still feel like devastating, you know. Like right. the the method that I've that I'm most comfortable expressing in. If that was gone, that would be devastating. But, like the creativity lives in my brain, you know. I
2: absolutely love that because that. There-
1: there's a lot of
2: truth to that, to what you just said. Like, you know, and, and it brings up an interesting identity question of, do you identify with your craft or do you identify with the skill you need to make the craft? Right. Or, you know, a lot of things like that. Um, but I love that idea that you would just, you'd find another
1: way to be creative. Yeah, I mean, and it's all very hypothetical, but I think. Well, I hope you never have to find out. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so too. But I mean, in the meantime, I think I'm already doing it. You know, I think this podcast is creative. Mm -hmm. It's not music, but it feels really creative to me. I'm starting to learn a lot about like, you know, marketing and kind of that stuff feels creative to me. Um, it's still not that, like what I refer to on this podcast as capital A art, you know, but teaching feels creative. Like there's all these things that feel creative and that feed like my creative soul that are not specifically me singing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I feel happy about that. Yeah. Um, okay. I always ask everybody at the end, unless there's anything else you want to say, what's your dream collaboration? Who would you love to work with? oh wow um you're you're welcome to choose like a psychologist if you want. you don't have to pick an artist, but you can like collab i don't know because anything you want'm
2: so oh okay, I've got one okay great. so my dream collaboration I am obsessed with Doctor Who, at least not cool. as bad as I used to be, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. love that show um particularly dark times in my life that, that show is what dragged me through, hmm. right? I love that show. Uh, I haven't seen any of the recent 13th Doctor ones, but up to where I've seen. Yeah. Um, the music in that I am a huge fan of Murray Gold and his writing. Cool. And so I guess my dream collaboration is I would love to commission Murray Gold to write a trombone concerto and like premiere it somewhere fancy. Oh, that's so. really
1: specific. I love that. <laughs>
2: that's awesome. So it, it will never happen, but it would be very cool. But that's he, a dream. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, his music, I just, I don't know. I really jam to his music a lot. That's cool.
1: So. Um. Finally, tell everybody where they can find you if they want to talk to you and find your work. Where can they read? Your Dissertation, hear you play. Oh, okay. Well, um,
2: so the dissertation is, uh, well, I, th- I believe it's published on UNT, but I'm working on getting a like not 200 page version okay. published. So that should be coming out. It's, it's being submitted to a journal. There's a couple out uh, for review, so I'm not exactly sure okay. where that's going to be, but um, I have a, a website which is um, Michelle Flowers at my okay. and that has all the information Music about stuff. Mine. Music Staff. Music Staff. Okay, yeah. I couldn't tell
1: what you said. Oh, yeah, no. That's my Music
2: Staff. My com, Music staff. Okay. And that has a bunch of links to um, like YouTube videos and okay. stuff. So. And then also I play in a quartet called Coal Hill Quartet. And we have a, a website at CoalHillQuartet.com.
1: And that's C-O-A-L? Yeah, C-O-A-L. Coal Hill. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Great. Michelle, thank you so much. It was great to talk with you. Oh, it
2: was good to talk <laughs> with you too, Emily. Thanks. It's been too long. Oh, for-
0: Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from my album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel and ad segment music by Jerem Hansen. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.